Welcome, everybody, to the First Name Basis podcast. This is our remote edition that we're doing. Um, this is where we chat with innovators who are actually doing things, and we have an open and honest conversation about what's working, what's not working, and we try to learn from our mistakes, or even better yet, try to place the breadcrumbs in front of us so we know where to go and where we're headed. Um, today, I got a really interesting episode with Rakesh and Paula, who I'm going to let introduce themselves in a bit, but we're going to be talking a lot about smart cities. Um, and it's a very interesting time for us to be talking about smart cities as, uh, as the world is changing pretty rapidly. And, uh, and we're going to go from there. Um, Rakesh, first, I'll uh, let you introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, why you're an expert on smart cities. Perfect. Well, good afternoon, Sheetal. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. My name is Rakesh Tiku. I am the uh, president and CEO of a company called Infield Solutions. Um, why I'm an expert with smart cities? Well, it's what we do. Uh, what we got into, we started building our platform about 10 years ago, and we started applying it to smart city applications uh, in 2018. Uh, what we saw was that there was a lot of great ideas and technology and, and the vision in terms of what a smart city or a connected city might look like. Uh, and where we saw the gap was action. If there is a problem, if a, uh, I don't know, a light bulb on a street is burnt out, how do I actually fix that? The whole concept of smart city is to streamline processes, automate processes, and, and get people to where they need to be uh, to solve a problem without anybody having to really notify anybody, right? Right. If, you know, Sheetal, you and I are connected without having a one-on-one -on -one connection, mm -hmm. right? Our systems take care of, of, of uh, the interaction between you and I, let's say, or myself and that streetlight. So what we saw was that action was missing. If the streetlight is burnt out, how does uh, the system get notified? How does the system monitor and manage and, and control uh, ultimately the replacement of that streetlight? And that's what we've actually built. And now we're adding on to that to uh, make it more smart city ready. Very cool, very there. cool. I, I got a ton of questions for you, actually. Uh, Please. Paula! <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? So Paula she and I used to work together, and we've had we've been really good friends for almost a decade now. Um, but Paula, introduce yourself for the people who don't know Paula. <laughs> so that's Cheadle's way. Uh, that's his call for me. I could hear it whether he's, he's standing beside me and saying my name that way or across the room. But uh, Cheadle's <laughs> a great friend, and I've learned a ton from you. Timely discussion as well. Uh, so my name is Paula Kwan, and uh, I like to think that I'm like I've been described as one of those people with, that get brought into projects, organizations, and teams where there's a lot of ambiguity some uncertainty, usually limited budget, um, but a lot of opportunity for risk and reward. So most recently, I just finished up um, a two and a half, three year stint at the City of Toronto as a founding director of the Civic Innovation Office, funded by Bluebird Philanthropies, which is a really, really interesting uh, experience. It's life-changing. Uh, but the majority of my career prior to that has been in the startup and innovation sector um, mainly based in Toronto, but traveled around the world to different tech hubs and innovation hubs around the world. So uh, I've got this, you know, interesting intersection between, you know, uh, innovation at the front rows of Silicon Valley um, with a crossover to the public sector and seeing what government innovation looks like. And when we think about smart cities, you can't think about uh, improving communities and people's experiences without thinking about government too. Really cool. So I got a ton of questions for both of you. And I, when we first started thinking about doing the Smart City podcast, I was like, I got to put you two guys together. Um, you know, we, we got someone here who's bringing solutions to cities and we got somebody who worked in the city. 
Um, so let me start off. Uh, Rakesh, I want to ask you a, a question. What's it like even trying to start a company to sell to cities? That's got to be like the first biggest hurdle that stops any entrepreneur is like, I'm going to go work with government. That's so hard. Uh, you're 100% correct. Um, keep in mind the smart city initiative that or initiatives that we're doing are also uh, possible and, and, and we are selling to a private enterprise. Okay. The smart city is kind of the, uh, the long game, if you wish. Mm -hmm. The challenge with selling to city, as you know, is policy. Uh, policy is uh, uh, at best inconsistent between municipalities. Sure. Uh, the other challenge is procurement process. Uh, without mm -hmm. uh, each of these municipalities or groups um, dra dramatically uh, improving their procurement policy, making it more dynamic, a smart city initiative will take 15 years to get going. Yeah. Like the timelines are so, like startups are crazy. fast, 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 and cities are slow, slow, slow. Right? Yeah. They almost have to see solutions out there somewhere else before they can even know what to write in an RFP because they, it's, it's really hard to be innovative and say, I'm going to write an RFP for a bunch, of, a bunch of companies to respond on. Correct. So we're building our proof cases based on uh, corporate sales. Okay. So doing a, uh, uh, creating smart buildings, uh, uh, working with smaller municipalities that uh, are willing to pilot projects, uh, easier for them to push through the procurement process, for example. So that's what we've been doing. And it's really been uh, little proof points along the way. So we did bin management, smart bin management. Uh, I don't know, uh, four years ago, we started doing that. So explain that. Let's go so into we, the use case. Let's go into the use case. What's a smart bin management even mean? Okay, so it was a, a, a charity actually approached us and mm -hmm. said, uh, we have, uh, you know, the clothing collection bids across the city. Mm -hmm. So you want to donate your, uh, you're done with your beautiful shirt that you're wearing right now and you want to buy it's a salmon. It's not pink, it's salmon. No, it's, it's guys, a lovely shade seen, of something. You've seen that, you have to see that Friends episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I have actually. <laughs> um, so when you're done with that shirt, rather than throwing it away, why don't you donate it to one of the beautiful charities in, in, in the city, right? So you drive, we all drop do it we off. All, we all do it, yeah. We all do it. Uh, actually, the guys at Goodwill know me by first name, but leave it alone. <laughs> um, so you drop it off in a bin, uh, which is beautiful, and 10 other people drop off stuff in a bin, but how do they actually know, the charity actually know when the bin is full? So the challenge they're having is they had predetermined schedules of, of go, going around the city, looking at their various bins, seeing mm -hmm. where they're full. Um, but it's a waste of time, resource, and as you know, charities are always uh, uh, looking for additional funds and, and reducing mm -hmm. costs. Right. Mm -hmm. So what we did is put a smart sensor in each of the bins, a volumetric sensor. And when the bin is full, it actually called the bin calls our software says, hey, pick me up. We batch those requests. We put it through a route optimization, create what we call a recommended schedule, dispatch schedule. We ask, ask the dispatch individual to do a quick eyeball. Hey, that yeah. looks cool. Maybe they have some other knowledge that the system doesn't. They confirm the schedule. They send it out. It goes to everybody's smart devices, tablets in the field, the drivers. And it's already uh, uh, itemized and, and optimized in terms of a route. So these are the five pickups you do today. These mm -hmm. are the locations. And even the type of pickup, that's a manual empty, that's a lift empty, all those things are factored in the route optimization engine. So we're streamlining the communication ultimately between the bin and the driver. Gotcha. That's a simple, gotcha. early example for me, but a simple example of what a smart city should look like, a connected city should look like. Right. Makes sense? Okay. Makes a, makes a ton of sense. So Paula, when you were at the city of Toronto, um, you know, what has it, what has the city been looking at from a smart city? Like it, when it comes to smart city initiatives, I know we worked on a project where it was a conceptual project for a large telco and it was on the light post. And if you had connected mm -hmm. light posts all over the place, what can you be, what can you do? So 
what were some of the solutions that the city was looking at or looking to implement? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the, the short answer is there's a lot uh, in terms of what does innovation look like in, in the city, what kind of projects and like who's working on those things. A lot mm -hmm. of people are working on a lot of important innovations in the city. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's something important to, to preface and say that innovation within inside the city proper uh, as, in the, as in the government doesn't look or feel like what you and I think of innovation right. on the outside. And I would actually argue and say that uh, when the public thinks of innovation, it's probably not what they think of either. They think of like flying cars and like like huge advancements in technology. Um, the type of projects that I had a front row seat and looking at inside government weren't necessarily like that. And sometimes it's like very slow, iterative, boring uh, improvements. <laughs> but those projects had like huge impact, uh, huge positive social impact that um, can't kind of get is a little bit undervalued when we think about it. So walk, walk us walk us through an example. Walk us through an example yeah, of sure. one that you that you saw a bunch of social impact from that the city went on and did. Yeah. So one thing that um, we did was uh, I can speak to it from my first hand experience. And I should say that I'm speaking from like a personal perspective, not yeah, as course. a representative of the city. <laughs> That's my disclaimer. So yeah. one of the city's uh, projects that I was really proud of and an example of um, something that's not super shiny or super sexy, but something that had some really good teeth within the city was something that we called the Digital Translation Tool Project. And um, it started off with just our offices very visible on the main floor of City Hall. If you walk mm -hmm. by, um, you'll see you know lots of different offices, lots of different cubicles, except ours was like this like glowing bright beacon with like whiteboards. It looked like a startup office within the city. Cool. So because of that, um, a lot of people would walk by and tap on the glass and say hi. But oftentimes, um, and it, when we became aware of it, we couldn't stop seeing it where people would come by to the office and tap on the glass and like struggle to ask us where the washroom was or where the library was or where the counselor's mm -hmm. office was. And um, growing number of people would come to our office that didn't speak English. And so we weren't able to communicate with them. So it just off the top of my head, I'm like, well, Google Translate exists and Microsoft Translator exists. Like, mm -hmm. can we use this tool on the phone that I have on my side all the time and mm -hmm. communicate with people to help them figure out where they were? And sure enough, the first, you know, one to two people that we tried it, tried it with was like huge hit. We, we, we were able to actually communicate with them effectively to help them figure out where to go. Mm -hmm. So we kind of expanded that idea to be like, well, you know, if they're coming to our office, like where else, what other interactions are they having with the city or with a, with a service? What else are they getting stuck on? Where else is it happening? So um, we embarked on a 10-week um, sprint where we brought in, you know, user researchers, typical to the startup world, as well mm -hmm. as designers to come in and better understand that, first of all, better understand the problem from the resident's point of view, not just jumping to the solution of like, let's just launch do Google Translate and Microsoft Translator everywhere. Um, so it was identifying what exactly the problem was, where it was happening across the city and where should we, we should start. So uh, fast forward 10 weeks, we got to information desks at City Hall and ideally, you know, think of imp information desks at any city building. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes it's the first interaction that people have when they come to a building looking for a service. So um, we trained city staff, we worked with uh, the public to create signage, universal signage on what translation cool. signage should look like. And we put that up and we tested it with the public at these information desks. Um, and sure enough, when we would, you know, we would 
signal to people that we could you know, help them translate what they were looking for um, by using an iPad or an iPhone, by speaking into it, by using different features and functionality. Uh, so that's like one example of an innovation that we didn't develop anything. We'd actually didn't like both of the tools are free to use. So we didn't actually incur any costs for anything. We created the signage ourselves and we had great partners uh, within the community and great staff to help us through it. So, you know, not, not shiny, but very, very impactful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Rakesh, I, you look all around and if we talk about like the own the light post type theory, what are some of the things that cities can be doing or should be doing now or what are they doing? It's a good point. Uh, it'll vary by city. It'll, uh, yeah, I changed my background. I wanted to yeah. prove that uh, even a technologist still reads. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and actually, you guys have beautiful backgrounds. <laughs> share mine. Uh, so in any case, um, I think Paula said some great examples. It doesn't need to be shiny and uh, wondrous uh, to be mm -hmm. impactful. Uh, but at the same time, um, I'm involved with this project right now, which is very cool. It's on uh, food recovery. Okay. okay? Uh, there's a lot of waste. We all know there's a lot of waste in our households, but more importantly, at food producers and at farms of food. Uh, the stats are showing as much as 30% of a food is, is uh, thrown away in several instances all the time, yet there's many people in our society that need food. Yeah, How I sit, on the, board, I sit on the board of Feed Ontario and it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a big disconnect, right? Like there's so much big waste. disconnect. Yeah, it's a huge problem. So we have a partnership with Second Harvest, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, they have an initiative to go national and, and, and that was part of our entry. But uh, um, what we do is, we, one of the things we're doing is building a platform to optimize uh, procurement in uh, food retail, uh, outlets mm -hmm. uh, by profiling procurement based on actual demand and predicted okay. demand. So we're using demand to shape procurement uh, behavior. Okay. Because of that, we could also estimate uh, quite accurately what the waste might be by retail site. If I could predict what the waste might be by retail site, therefore I could give a heads up to the second harvest of the world of what food and what type of food and where this food will be available before it happens to become predictive. Right. We could also calculate how much of this food can be actually recovered for uh, repurposing as food, eaten, and how much has to be disposed into a, uh, let's say, organic digester. We've partnered up with an organic digester company as well, Green Science, mm -hmm. um, where, let's say, 80% of the food we recover can be put into a food bank, 20% has to be uh, converted to organic compost. What we're creating with these three entities is a connected uh, ecosystem around food, and sure. the cities can get involved by, and we are talking to the city of Toronto and many others, by the way, but uh, uh, the cities can get involved by promoting this because the green box programs, especially at the restaurants, isn't really working. Most of it goes to No, landfill. it's not. And a lot when it goes to landfill, that's like, that's the biggest reason for like methane gases. And if you want to be an environmentalist and you talk about, hey, how are you going to help the environment? Sure, your car is like pulling out gases, but the amount of methane released from the food wastage that us humans do is through the roof. Right. Uh, and the methane is a problem. The odors that come with it is a problem. Uh, uh, if the methane can be harnessed, that is rats. okay. The rats in the city. Rats are a problem. problem. Uh, and then the space. The space, uh, we're wasting space by using the as landfill, which is no mm -hmm. good. Right. Uh, and it's a toxin in its own right. So uh, the food recovery is an example of how a city could get involved. Um, it doesn't require a lot of Additional innovation, the innovation exists, the technology exists. There is some policy maybe that's required, uh, but really it's about procurement. Procurement's the gate. Cool, cool. Um, 
I wanted to talk about an initiative that's going on here in Toronto and Paula, I don't know how much you could talk about it or you can't, but what the heck is going on with Sidewalk Labs? What is Sidewalk Labs? What was it supposed <laughs> to be? What the hell happened? Paula, why don't you start off and then Rakesh, you add some color, but let's be honest here. What's going on there? I mean, you know, I work in the tech space. I'm here in Toronto. I just know this is a project that's supposed to be put on with Google in the city. And um, all I know is there was a bunch of pushback and now they're looking at other ways of doing it. But what is the concept and what's it supposed to do? And why is there pushback? Well, I was going to ask you. No. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, during my time at the city, it was a it was a unique time. It was around the same time, like the, the time that I was launching the office was the same time that Sidewalk Labs had uh, pitched and won the bid for that 12 acre parcel of land on the waterfront of Toronto. Sure. So we've kind of been living this like parallel universe on like, I used to get a lot of requests and um, FOIs on, on sidewalk. And I'm like, I'm not actually related working mm -hmm. on that project at all. So there was a very uh, clear line in the sand between the city and the waterfront secretariat, who uh, is an entity built up to help manage the, the relationship with sidewalk. Sure. It wasn't with, with, staff personnel sure. anyways now that i'm not with the city mm -hmm. um i think that uh the best way to describe sidewalk labs i do to many of my neighbors and um, people who actually aren't embedded in either live in toronto or i've just heard about this thing and uh, on the waterfront is uh because yeah, most of most, most of us who aren't involved just think oh it's going to be like this mini google city what does that mean we had nobody has a clue well i think right. instead of instead of a google city i think they're trying to design a few the, the city of the future where um, they leverage technology, parts of data, um, better ideas. A lot of the things that we like, we live in, you know, big cities and and struggle to, to and, and, and struggle to do. They're looking for solutions and designing solutions alongside people to to do that at a much larger scale. So that example that I gave you at the city is like one small project of several. Well, they're mm -hmm. trying to tackle a huge thing by actually putting it into play within uh, within context of. Uh, 12 acres of land down there. So if you go down there now, it's um, a bit of an industrial uh, empty empty mm -hmm. lot is what it looks like. Their office is actually located right across the street. And um, ideally, uh, if you look at some of their renderings, you know, they've got modular condos that could go down there that would address issues like affordable housing. Um, what I've heard is that, you know, they're evaluating like rethinking everything that we think of cities today from, you know, where, what street lights look like to what roads look like to canopies that you know um, are new ways to protect from from uh, from the sun and, and elements uh, they're rethinking how the future of cities are being built Rakesh I don't know if you if you have anything to add I do uh, what you said is uh, perfect um, the challenge I see with sidewalk labs is that uh, they had a call for ideas okay mm -hmm. we have a rough idea you use Shito use idea of uh, our concept is a Google city it's a connected city that they're looking to do something that we would envision a Google uh, ideally in their uh, sandboxes would create. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna invite uh, everybody, anybody and everybody to kind of send their technology in or the concepts and the visions in, and then we'll figure out how to piece it together. And that turned out to be, in my opinion, a very daunting, it is a very daunting task. Because, yeah, that's not easy. Uh, there's a ton of great ideas, but how do you make it all work? You mm -hmm. have a connected light, post with a uh, smart trash bin, but the two don't talk to each other. I didn't think about that. How do I actually connect it and make it all talk together? And, and, and how do I prioritize what gets done? I mean, there's a lot of things that need to be figured out. And then what I'm finding as of late, and this is not a, a jab, but reality, it's become bureaucratic. 
Sure. Now, now it's being, in my opinion, uh, crippled by the politics and bureaucracy. Um, and, and because of that, I don't think- But doesn't that happen in cities? Like that's, that's what cities do. Yeah, but this was supposed to be outside of the purview of a city. This is a sandbox and experimentation. This isn't to, uh, this isn't necessarily the way it's going to be. This is just an interpretation and representation of what it could be. Uh, this is what's supposed to be a uh, an acreage of land that we could just play with technology and see how it all works and make decisions and, and create a vision from the reality of what works, what doesn't. But what it's turned out to be is that if it, it almost feels like what you just said. Let's make this real. Let's make this happen. Let's make this part of Toronto now. And, and I think it's too early for that. Okay. So how do you, how should, like, how do how should cities even go on about doing smart cities? Before we even get there, what's the, what's a real life example of a smart city right now? Like, where is, if, if, where is a city that is, like, actually doing it right? The cities that are closest to it are countries like, uh, uh, country cities like Singapore. Um, what is, regions so let's, of, uh, let's go. Let's go deeper into Singapore. What is Singapore doing that we, that we don't see here in Toronto or New York? Or I think the uh, the way the bureaucracy, the politics works in, in Singapore is very different. It's run as a business. Their mm -hmm. their uh, prime minister is more of a CEO than a prime minister. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. So it's run like a business, and just like Dubai. Uh, it's run like yeah. a business. It's run like a business. They have a PL, they have a financial objective. It's not just a social objective. So, therefore, their look at how things are done are slightly different. And when they did the smart city enterprise, they funded it, but they're letting private enterprise run it. Mm -hmm. Korea, it's really run by their multinationals. Korea is run by their large multinationals, the Samsungs mm -hmm. of the world. They run that country. So, what are, what are some of the solutions that they're putting in there that has been quick to market and been widely adopted by the citizens of the uh, uh, those places they do have some of the connected uh, light light post uh, concept mm -hmm. they do have a smart waste management platform it's not perfect but they mm -hmm. are doing some of that smart waste pla uh, platform um there's better integration between municipalities and, and private enterprise in singapore in general right so they have that connected environment as their basis mm -hmm. already and they're leveraging that there's several things for uh, power optimization that they're using the, the smart city concept with. Uh, ran, uh, land, sorry, uh, reclamation, uh, salt water processing. These are all things that they're using smart city concepts to say, uh, how much power do I each actually need to generate, uh, not on a weekly or monthly or annual basis, but on a daily basis. Where does that energy come from? And how do I optimize that? How do I distribute it? Those very are the cool. systems they're building. It's very cool stuff. Um, and they're looking at the PL of it, the financial implications of, of, of these uh, these platforms and solutions, right? Uh, the shipping docks. Sorry, I could go on for hours about this. It's, yeah, no, keep going. It's cool stuff. The shipping docks. Oh my God, they're they're automated. They've been automated for 10, 10 plus years. Yeah, I saw the. Yeah, I, we 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 do work with DP World out in Dubai, and we got to see oh, right. the new the new docks that they built over there. And it's you know they had the old dock had like fourteen thousand employees or something like that, yeah. maybe even more. I think it might have been a hundred thousand employees. The new doc has like seven. Yes. Everything's on. They're really monitoring. Yeah. They're, they're uh, monitoring and they're, they're, uh, they're uh, looking for exceptions. They're looking to solve problems. Um, and they're just oversight, really. Uh, and that's how Singapore is uh, effectively running their docs as well. And what I find interesting with Singapore is that they have access to very cheap labor in Malaysia, their neighboring country. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet, they're not using that as an excuse. 
to not innovate and become a smart city. Very cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Paula, what do you, what do what do you see that is actually like, being progressive in cities as you, I'm sure you had some sort of SWOT analysis putting Toronto up against other cities and trying to bring innovation into, into Toronto. What did you see working really well? Well, it's funny that you, you talk about comparing us to other cities because as part of the network that we were in, we were linked to 27 other cities that were doing the exact same thing that we were in Toronto. Okay. So these seed teams of designers, directors, and data analysts uh, across 27 cities in this Bloomberg network, not to mention the, the cities that are even outside of that, not funded by Bloomberg, but were connected with this experience of what I like to think is like the government revolution, mm -hmm. innovation revolution. Um, and it seemed to seem like, Common themes of our experiences seem to be around, um, you know, time to experiment or, or a place to run experiments and using that word experiment in, in a city. Um, civic engagement, so how do we consult with the public? How do we uh, talk to users and talk to people about their experiences and be able to test things with them? Um, and you know, thinking through like what, what problem, and I think the, the core thing is like, what problem are we trying to solve? Again, not jumping straight to the solution, but is this, you know, what problem are we trying to solve and who are we trying to design it for? So those three right. things were always in the top, like in the, in the top of our minds when we go to prioritize projects or prioritize uh, communities that we were gonna go see. Um, and it was always like, you know, are we able to experiment? Do we have the buy-in to do it? Do we have the, the additional bandwidth and talent to be able to do that? Um, and you know, it, are we working on the right problems right now? Cool, cool, cool. All right, I wanted to pause there. I started doing something different in the podcast to get people to get to know you and break up the conversation a bit. We're going to get back to the smart city stuff, but I'm going to do five rapid fire questions. I'm just going to say your name and ask a question and you're going to answer on the spot really quick. All right, no long-winded <laughs> answers here. And they're just going to be off the cuff. I actually just make them up as I go. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Here we go. Ready? Well, we'll, I mean, I think everybody needs to get to know you guys a little bit better. Sure, of course. All right. Let's start with you, Paula. What's your favorite food and why? My favorite food right now would probably be something from Chinatown. I'm craving, like, I, I, the first store, the, the first restaurant that I'll go into once this, this uh, isolation is lifted is probably a dim sum place in Chinatown. I'm craving it. <laughs> soul food. It's my soul food. <laughs> All right. Rakesh, what's your favorite city except for Toronto? Why? Favorite city? Oh, that's a great one. Um, there's so many. Uh, one of my favorite cities is Tokyo. A dynamic, modern city full of great people, amazing food, a great culture, uh, and it's very different than Toronto. Cool. Paula, are you more of a Microsoft user or a Google user? Google user. You're a Google user? Yes. Any, <laughs> hey, you, where, where was it the city um, on Microsoft? <laughs> They you were. still went back to Google? You still went back to Google? Yes, I did. I did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We, I, 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 you know, going back to Microsoft products, I, I get why there's, you know, there's an idea around security around it. But like, I remember getting my first file and somebody asked like, hey, track change and send it back to me. I'm like, how do I even do that? Like, how, who else is working on this? Well, I send it to you and then you're going to send it and there's an order? Because I'm like, no, I, I miss my Google, Google Docs. Yeah, we're just <laughs> <laughs> Office 365 is letting you do a lot of stuff. So I'll give, I'll give Microsoft the props there. <laughs> Rakesh, what's your favorite movie? Oh, my goodness. Um, Tell me some big Bollywood film. 
<laughs> yeah, actually, no. Uh, I do enjoy Bollywood, but I won't say they're my favorite. I just finished the uh, Star Wars trilogy for the probably six times. So uh, right now, it's Star Wars. Yesterday was May the Fourth. Um, yeah. Did you watch it? Did you watch a movie yesterday? So I, I, I watched uh, actually one of the Clone Wars, the cartoon version. But I just finished watching the uh, the uh, actual uh, live action movies in a row last week. So I actually went. Uh, I like your theme for today. Rakesh, before we started filming, told me that he has a great ball of tequila beside him. Knowing that it's Cinco, <laughs> knowing that it's Cinco de Mayo today. It is Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo, you should be cracking that, <laughs> that open. Who says you know, I'm not? Ah, oh, there you go. That's your water, but leave it alone. Your tequila, my water, whatever. It's all good. <laughs> Paula, what's your favorite drink? What, like, what kind of yeah, drink? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're at a bar, what are you ordering? Oh, depends on my mood depends who i'm with but right After now a day you are super frustrated from work <laughs> what would you drink probably a good manhattan bourbon on the rocks with a couple <laughs> of cherries okay okay i love it nice um all right guys let's get back to this morning what's your favorite drink <laughs> um it all honestly i love my scotches but i yeah, yeah. i drink a lot so it's not easy to drink a lot of scotch so I uh, I do you know just the vodka soda or something like that just to right. make time pass. Down and dirty, uh, simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you've been out drinking with me, it doesn't it gets pretty complicated and messy fast. <laughs> 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 the good thing, the good thing about this COVID thing is I've been actually drinking way less. Yes, I just I'm a social drinker. I, I like fun. being out with people to go drink. If I'm just sitting at home, I'm not drinking. So this has been a good yeah. thing for me. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, Let's 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 get back to let's get back to smart cities. We we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It'd be crazy for us not to talk about what we what should cities be looking at to come out of this pandemic. What can they be doing um, to come out of this pandemic? And take all the privacy stuff and all that other stuff aside. What do you guys feel are solutions out there? If if you know that could be implemented to help us get out of this out of this terrible time that we're in right now. Uh, so, you go. Sure. Um, I don't want to do any shameless plugs, so I'll, I'll keep it generic. But uh, there are several things we're doing that are pretty. Do you know what? Plug it. Who, who cares? If, if it's yeah. you, plug, okay. Plug I'll, I'll bring it as examples. I'll bring it as examples. But um, what we're seeing is this: is that in the last five, eight years, uh, this this growth towards convenience uh, has really uh, occurred. Uh, COVID has added this issue of security. So I want convenience, and I want to be secure as a mm -hmm. consumer. Consumer could be an individual. It could also mean a, a company or even a municipality. We have a municipality client, so they've shut down currently, and yet they want service. They want mm -hmm. product. They want things. How do you do that? So personally, I think every company, and you and I spoke of this kind of quickly just before this, uh, this podcast even uh, occurred, is that <clears throat> every company has to think about a strategy to go online. Every company has to figure out a strategy of how to optimize, simplify their supply chain and procurement processes to go online. Right. Every company has to figure out how do I maximize the user experience so that even complex situations like what I want in a sandwich is managed easily online. Sure. Because it's, it's one thing to go into a sub shop and, and point at what you want. It's another thing to be able to articulate within a confine of a software, an app or, or a web-based app uh, software, to 
to define exactly what I want and why and when and da 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 da. So that requires a user journey and experience using technology that is simple yet powerful. Um, and most companies aren't there, to be very honest. Mm -hmm. We have several things we're doing. Uh, one thing we were doing again was at retail uh, outlets for food. Uh, we're creating an at-home health and wellness program. Uh, what we realize is that there's several challenges right now. Many people don't know how to cook or have access to great food. Many people are starting to uh, get further down that obesity issue. That's always mm -hmm. been a challenge, but more so. Mental health is also uh, a more prevalent challenge now than ever because yeah, of the isolation. So we've launched this at-home health and wellness program that ties in great food with dietitians and, and virtual fitness coaches and mental health specialists into one platform. Initially, we go to our corporate clients and their, their employees as our users, uh, but now we're opening up to the public as well, and we're launching that in two weeks. So that, that, that addresses all the issues I, I mentioned that need to be addressed. Procurement, streamlining, supply chain, streamlining, and the user interface challenges. Very cool. Paula? Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities that um, are kind of do sitting dormant right now. So when the, do when the, the world opens back up, um, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to see some of those and, and, and run with them. And I hope that they do. But I'll give you a real example of something that I think is a big missed opportunity right now. And I don't mean to like throw any companies like under the bus. Um, that's not my intent, but it's just my own personal experience. Mm -hmm. So uh, before all this, we all know like how big Amazon is and um, how they're eating the, the lunches of, of a ton of retails, uh, retails local mm -hmm. and, and global. Um, and I feel like right now everyone is struggling with delivery and shipping and all that kind of stuff. Um, sure. So it made me think about like people who are going to, um, you know, the big box off or the big box stores that are still open right now. Uh, yep. And I tried to buy like dog food yesterday. I was like completely out of dog food. Like he didn't even have like a scoop left. And so I knew that they were doing curbside pickup. I won't say the, the pet store's name. Uh, and I called them up just, it was like an hour away. I was in my car anyways. And I'm like, hey, I need to pick up a couple of bags. And they said, sure. Um, and I said, you know, I'm about an hour away. Can I pick it up then? They're like, ooh, it was like 1 p.m. And they're like, we're working on our 10 a.m. orders right now. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you close at seven. Like, are we talking like an hour, a couple hours, 10 minutes? Like, how much time do you need? And they're like, we don't even know. So I sat and waited around <laughs> until 10 to 7 p.m. So six hours later, I was waiting till 10 to 7. Still no call from this dog, uh, from this pet store. So I had to call another one and I, and I drove it to pick it up. And I'm like, you know, I, I get that like teams are running really thin right now, but I'm like, this is an opportunity for the retailers that are still open or, you know, big Canadian brands uh, to really go after Amazon, right? Like Amazon yeah, absolutely. Is, is behind on delivery because of logistics and everything right now. But I'm like, you might not be able to beat them on price, but you can beat them on service. Amazon is still becoming the safest bet. Like you retailer, you're missing the opportunity. I'm ordering something from you. Get it to me in two days. Amazon, exactly. why can't you figure yeah. that out? Well, let me look like, they, they even put me on hold. They're like, let, let us check to see Curbside if we have those two bags. And I'm like, the time that you took to go see if those bags were on the shelf, bring them back with bring you and I'll be there you. and I'll be there in an hour to come pick it up. Didn't happen. Right. Didn't happen. They actually called me today at noon. So it was like 24 hours later. So it is what it is. But we're here. I'm hearing similar stories from like family members who are ordering online and having to do curbside pickup and sitting in a car for an hour. So I'm like, yeah. could we not crush it in terms of uh, delivering, shipping, pickup? like change the model around so that uh, we give Amazon a little bit of run for its money, right? You'll never beat them on price, probably not even after this thing, but you know, Canadians are huge on loyalty programs. Like, can we 
could some of these mm -hmm. retailers be coming up with their own you know, and, and really pushing that out so that they get people out delivering if they don't want to use an intermediary service like an Uber Eats or like, you know, one of these other food delivery services. So I feel like there's an opportunity there. I also think that there's an opportunity for like infrastructure. So when you think about, I know there's a lot of discussion in Toronto about, you know, whether or not our sidewalks are now big enough to actually have um, people walking. Well, they're not. Apart. They're not. But it makes me think like to the topic of, you know, the future of smart cities and redesigning the future of cities, what will our infrastructure look like? You know, Paul Ashito, uh, I really think uh, I need to use this as a commercial because what you just described, Paul, is what we're building called Infield Food IQ. And the at-home program is an extension of that. Um, we are an Amazon competitor. And uh, yeah. we've been live. We have, we'll have 12,000 users of our app uh, uh, in two weeks. Oh, amazing. Congratulations. Amazing. 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 So like one thing you guys haven't been talking about is how we could, you know, Rakesh, you, you were talking earlier about smart buildings and I'm in my beautiful office here in Toronto. Um, there's one other guy here from TKS on the opposite side of the office. Um, yeah. So shout out to the knowledge society. One of their guys is working hard really on the, on the, on the other on the opposite side of the office. But here I am standing in 25,000 square feet of beautiful office space. And I got, some inkling of like, hey, how we could start coming back to work, but now we're gonna have to spread everybody apart. Um, I got another issue of, hey, we probably only want to max two people in the elevator. If I look at this building that we're in on two at 200 Wellington here in downtown Toronto, yeah. If I show up at 8:30 in the morning, I probably won't get to my desk till noon. If we're gonna do two people at a time, like, how could we open up and be smarter about opening up and leverage technology to open back up? in a safe way. Loaded well, yeah, it could be. It, you have an answer because I would love to implement any type of solution. Or force so we are, uh, one of the lines of business uh, we have is called uh, Infield Building IQ. And uh, a solution we're building right now, it's in our skunk works, is what we call space utilization. Okay? Okay. So uh, it's, it's, I'm looking at this problem right now. We're looking at this problem right now because exactly what you said is, Okay, so you have specific individuals that do specific tasks. Like you're very office worker centric type of work, but mm -hmm. um, you still have people that need a certain type of computer perhaps. Maybe they're doing uh, AI work or they're doing uh, VR work. So they need some sort of horsepower. So what if we put an RFID tag on everybody's um, uh, employee badge? So right. as soon as they walk in, we say, oh, it's that type of individual or that type of worker, or that person likes to be by a window, or that person likes not to be by a window. And we could tell them on their smartphone where to locate. Okay. And therefore optimize the space based on function and based on personal preference. Okay. Right. Um, and, and, and it's simple. Again, the technology exists. The user journey would have to be uh, uh, modified slightly for this environment. But that's one example. Um, a guest comes in. Uh, uh, again, they tag in saying, I'm here the person that they're meeting is automatically notified and the guest is automatically prompted to the correct meeting room. And sure. that meeting room is monitored to make sure nobody's there so that you and I, Sheetal, don't necessarily interact when we shouldn't have. Right. Causing uh, transmission issues, right, of disease. So Sheetal, you're not in the room because you weren't, you didn't sign up for that room. And, and mm -hmm. Paula did sign up for the room and her guest, Rakesh, is, is coming and he's directed to the room and, and it's safe. You know, so yep. the journey is safe for everybody and transmission is minimized. Um, cleaning. We have smart washroom uh, solutions, building IQ. When do you clean? Why do you clean? How often do you clean? Well, that's when. And who should clean? Um, those things could be auto, auto automated as well. What we're doing is monitoring uh, uh, the usage of
of a monitor, of, of a washroom, sorry. We don't know what you're doing, she told, but we know you went to the washroom, we know you did number one. And we know you did number one because you were at the toilet for two minutes. Yep. You did number two because you are there longer. So I could calculate or extrapolate what <laughs> you did. I think, uh, and therefore, I, lo I love you took our conversation to shit and piss. This is exactly yeah, what well, I was. You know, I kept it real. <laughs> it's real. All right, I got an right. online question just on what yeah. you're talking about, Rakesh. Um, what about the privacy blockers um, when mm -hmm. it comes along with these tech solutions? What, what, how, do you, how do we get around privacy? Well, again, it comes down to policy. So I would have to agree as an employee of yours that uh, you have the right to monitor uh, where I work and, and how, how I work. Okay, so sure. you and I have to have that employment employer agreement, one. Two, there's many things that we can monitor, like my washroom example, where I don't need to know the identity of an individual. I don't mm -hmm. need to know gender. I don't need to know their person. You I don't just know that know a flush happened or whatever happened. Yeah. I just want to know what they're what uh, effectively they're doing, so I know how to manage that washroom appropriately. So your identity is safe. Doesn't matter who you are. I just need to know what you did, so I can clean it for you. Right. Gotcha. Um, so there's ways to manage identity, uh, but I think policy is going to have to be a big one. And and you, we all know that the the uh, younger generation. Uh, I should I should have been a millennial because I don't care either. If you want to know anything about me, know anything about me. It doesn't matter. What do I have to hide, right? And the younger generation feels the same way as well, you know. Except for my bank and sin information, everything else is cool. I don't care. Um, so I think you can also see a shift in mentality based on uh, how society is evolving with privacy. Okay. Paula, what do you, you know, privacy must have been a huge concern in anything you guys were doing at the city, right? That's like the top thing that would probably prevent you from doing a lot of cool stuff. Um, what, what innovative solutions have you seen to get around policy? Or like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think the city, or what are some solutions that came across your desk or came across your office when you, while you were there that you think, hey, we should like supercharge that and get that done right now? Because we talk about digital transformation. There's an awesome meme going around. I tweeted it like a million times, but it said like what made digital transformation happen in your company? And it was like, people, this, that, COVID-19, and you circle COVID-19, right? Like, that is actually, so what do you think that was, like, held back before that has to be, like, put on a fast track now uh, when it comes to a city? Oh, well, I, I think it's just, it's, it's data. It's how we use data. It's it's what you're using about it. But um, for context, though, like, you nailed it. Like, when I when I first went to the city, I, I got to look behind the curtain on, like how the how all the wizards work, and I did not realize how much um, integrity and um, thoroughness that the city has in protecting our privacy. So mm -hmm. we may think of it as slow and clunky, um, but they are doing everything that they can to make sure that our data um, and every touch point that we have with the city and, and the service doesn't get into the wrong hands. So that's the reason why knowing that and talking to the teams who are the ones, whether it's open data or the clerk's office, um, I, got, I, I got to learn and actually talk to the people who either came up with the policies or would explain the policies to me. And I think my, my solution there was to understand it, question it. But also there's an element of working with it. So instead of like, you know, being the, the person to fight on every single reason why a historic decision was made on why that policy was there, I would embrace it and ask them like, hey, how do, how do we actually, this is my goal, how do we work together on this? So it was instead of fighting 
fighting the policy it was it was understanding it challenging it and then working together on something and it worked like there were times where um i was told very very early on you can't go and do guerrilla testing paula even though that we, uh you know nathan phillips square is outside you can't go and talk to people out there without um, having everything approved. And, you know, if I hadn't challenged it, I wouldn't have met the people who would have reviewed the questions and the in interview questionnaires that we had printed out very quickly, walked them through why we were trying to do what we were trying to do, the outcomes of it, and what we were going to use the data. And that whole review process was like less than a day. And honestly, me as a citizen, like flipping on the other side, if I'm a citizen in, the, in, in Toronto, and I knew the type of rigor that you would go into before any question is asked of me, that's collecting data I was uh, I was like super I was like really happy about it so with those with that with those blessings we were able to go out and do some gorilla testing in Nathan Phillips Square and like Starbucks's and you know other places that like a startup a startup company would go so um, you know plug and play any project you think of it's, it's under it's figuring out who those people are who the gatekeepers are talking to them about um, what the risks are under and helping them understand you know like I think there's a lot of assumptions made both on the on the on the policies but also what we're trying to do we're not trying to come in and break things on you we've got goals and we've got mandates and we're trying to all work together on this and it's helping to try to figure out like what is our shared goal here and understand what are the goal are because we were able to actually navigate through it we think we think so differently here in north america um especially when it comes to our privacy and our freedoms right like i take a look at the uae we opened an office uh, out there and we do a ton, we did a ton of work we do a ton of work out there with like the likes of Emirates. Um, but if you take a look at the United Arab Emirates, um, like they scan your face, they take your fingerprints right away. And as soon as you enter the country, doesn't matter where you are, if they want to find you, they'll find you within five minutes. Like your, your facial recognition is happening. They're already doing it. You've given away all your freedom for any of that. Don't look at me or where I am or what I'm doing. Um, and I'll give you a real life use case. You know, we, we, I was having a conversation with some of the people at the Canadian consulate there. And um, there was a Canadian man who went, who was spending, you know, he spends his winters over there and he went missing and the family couldn't find him for two days. And they finally, you know, after two days, this is very unlike dad, where is he? Um, right. And called the Canadian consulate there and, you know, they were calling hospitals and stuff and couldn't get a hold. And the Canadian consulate just called the UAE government and the UAE government within 15 minutes found, found the guy. And unfortunately he was suffering from dementia. Um, but within 15 minutes, they're able to go nowhere you want to pick you up like that system's already in That's place amazing. and it's already happening and you know it's and, and and that made me start thinking like well how much more smarter could they get like what if they started using the data to actually make traffic lights in the city a lot better they could see how many cars are coming down how, how what, what are the best ways to model traffic it just made start making my mind go Hey, there's all these things you could do with cameras now and now that you have a whole city that is no matter where you are in the city you're on some closed circuit circuit television you can do a lot um and then you know i was walking around one of their trade shows and um with and talking to a gentleman who is heading up their police lab and he was talking to me about my minority report stuff they're using like ai to predict where crimes are happening before crimes happen there so they can like put a police presence and so on and so forth to make the city even safer um do you ever, ever see us, Paula, this may be a loaded question, getting to that level of sophistication and doing things like that? Well, personally speaking, I, like, yeah, I do. I, I see, I, 
the the risk though is the the reason why people are concerned is they think of whether it's Dubai or China like a surveillance state. That's mm-hmm. I don't know if we would ever swing well, Singapore. That like this, you were talking about Singapore is the same thing over exactly. there. Exactly. I don't know if Singapore we would or ever. China, get Korea. To that. The technology exists. Like it's not a technical. It's not a technological limitation. Well, London, even. is it most of London? Is it most of London closed circuit camera too now? Like they got, they yep. got you if they launch you. Cameras, now? yes. Yeah. And even there's a, a Waterloo star startup, MyoVision, uh, over in Waterloo, who's doing that traffic traffic camera, uh, traffic light mm-hmm. camera system um, that's being used uh, across North America too. So, the te- it's not a technological limitation. We, we're using uh, that here in Toronto. I bu- I thought it, I thought traffic. I read something. I mean, besides right now, the traffic. There was a pilot. There was a pilot. It was a pilot. Yeah, that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, Policy would never allow for it. They won't, right? Not near history, anyway. I think in our generation, we would see it. I think we would see uh, a, a time where we do leverage data um, in a way that's not so extreme as the surveillance state of, like, uh, uh, of China. But I do think we will see a time when... Um, China has this, uh, are you a good person, like social meter, right? Like they can see if you're... A uh, no, they have credit worthiness <laughs> and job worthiness monitoring Yeah. based on your behavior, right? So it's... Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know within our ge- generation. I mean, mind you, you guys are younger than I am, so uh, it's possible your generation. But uh, um, I'm not. I'm not convinced in in, in uh, Toronto or North America uh, we would see what you're saying yet. I'm not convinced. All right. Okay, we're coming up to the top of the hour. Prove me wrong. Yeah, well, hey, I. I we, you know let's, let's place a bet, Cheeto. You can be the witness. <laughs> I don't. I don't want anyone driving me around on camera. I'll, I'll. I'll say that openly. However, when I'm in Dubai, I don't give a flying f either. So, yeah, uh, you forget yeah. about it. You don't even know about it. Yeah, I don't even you know think about, about it. it. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's only. Uh, it's not a problem to you until it becomes one. Right? It is a problem. And yeah. then, until it becomes, it, it is a problem. And I think us with our, us making sure that our liberty is safe because of the mistrust we have in our own government systems is. Is, is wow. a big point, or there will be no and not even not even just government, but private sector, like the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what they're doing with our data as well. That's people that's feel violated with this COVID. Yeah, people yeah, feel yeah. violated with staying home in isolation because of COVID. Forget about being monitored. Yeah, it's a big yeah. psychological barrier that society would have in this society would have to get over. Right, is a surveillance. Fair a loss of free will. Fair right. enough. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> Rakesh, why don't you uh, wrap this up? Tell us, uh, tell us a couple things that you think will be happening in the short term um, or in the long term, and as we think about smart cities, what we should expect. Well, I, I, I think this uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, has really changed potentially the dynamics at every level. Things like autonomous vehicles um, with great mm-hmm. movies and dreams in certain regions of the world. But now people, I hope it goes away, but people right now have this perception that they do not want to be in close contact with other people if they could avoid it. So autonomous vehicles become more relevant. So now from a legislation standpoint, we have to look at ways of making this possible. Um, There's a big movement in many countries around the world, in Europe and and India and North America, and I'm not making a statement, I'm just making an observation mm-hmm. uh, that uh, people don't want to buy from China currently. You know, there's this anti-Chinese consumerism going on, right? Uh, but we also know that 
Canada, for example, has a shortage of certain labor. Uh, we have uh, not enough people in certain segments for sure. Therefore, mm -hmm. we're going to have to use technology and autonomous vehicles and, and those things to automate some of the things that other countries might use people for. Maybe gotcha. driving cabs. We don't have people. It's autonomous, for example, again. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think there'll be a shift towards uh, some, some autonomous vehicles, a shift towards uh, um, more online. Uh, I think it's going to be a shift towards hybrid workplaces. Not everybody needs to go to the office at the same time all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. So kind of go to what Yahoo kind of determined that a hybrid workplace is the best. Some people work from home. Some people work in the office. Um, and there's many rules for, for doing that. Manufacturing. I think we're going to automate more manufacturing because we want to bring more manufacturing in country. Uh, and the best way to do it economically is through automation robotics, right? So Absolutely. Um, I think the utilization of technology in order for us to be more self-sufficient, more nationalistic, uh, is going to be a trend for the next uh, several years anyway. That's very well put, man. I, I, I very rarely do I agree with almost every single point that someone says in that. Well, <laughs> I did. I'm glad we rehearsed. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, I, I don't. I think I think I think you put you summed that up really well, Paula. How about you? Um, I think technology will continue to advance. Uh, I think we're going to continue to see really cool things come out. Uh, of private sector companies and startups. But I think there's the one thing that I, I hope that um, we continue to focus on, we don't lose sight of, is when we're designing those innovations and designing those shiny things or designing those, those cool products and services, that we don't, and we always keep in mind the community's experience. We're not designing for tech for tech's sake. You know, no. um, technology doesn't own us, we own it. We always have to remember that. And when we're designing whatever improvements we are, I hope that we continue to focus on the people, which includes the culture, languages, art, um, and alongside technology. So uh, that's, my, that's my biggest hope for the future is that, you know, it, it will continue to increase. We're gonna see lots of cool stuff in our lifetime, but uh, mm -hmm. I hope we never lose sight of who we're trying to design it for. And by who, I mean all of us, not just people that can afford high speed internet or the newest smartphone. It's the people that um, are low income who uh, are equity seeking folks as well. Like we, we need to think of all communities, especially when it comes to histories, like things that have, done, that have been done in the past, um, music, art, culture, language, all that alongside technology. Love it, love it. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me today. Uh, I, I thank you a lot for uh, for a lot of insights you, you shared. I mean, smart cities wasn't something that I was like deeply into, but it's it's really cool to hear you guys talk about it and uh, and teach myself and our viewers a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so thanks a lot for joining. I hope you guys stay safe. Um, as always, I got to end off with the first name basis podcast is available on Apple. Spotify, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook. We're just going to bombard you with it everywhere. <laughs> uh, no, but thank you so much, everyone, for, uh, for, for, for tuning in. And thanks again, Rakesh and Paula, for, for joining me today. Thank you, thank you for the opportunity.